give him some praise in this place this morning. He's worthy, man. How many thankful for victory in Jesus? How about the rest of you? <laughs> praise the Lord. Hey, well, on this week, Easter weekend, we're glad to be able to worship together. But, you know, let us remember that our focus, you know, it's not about the clothes we buy and all the things, getting to see family, but it's about a price that was paid so that we can have life. And I don't know why the Christ would come and give his life for me and you, but I'm sure glad he did. Amen. Praise the Lord. The kingdom is come and the battle is over. 
give him some praise in this place this morning he's worthy amen
on the cross for our sins. We thank you that you paid the price for us. But Lord, we are even more grateful that you rose again and you conquered death, hell, and the grave so that we could be overcomers. We could be victorious. We could be conquerors. We say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. During this time in worship, we are going to open our altars to pray with you. And as I was praying about what the Lord was wanting to specifically meet today in the altar, He reminded me of the story we read yesterday about Mary. Mary went to the tomb to see Jesus. She thought He was dead. And when she got to the tomb, the stone had been rolled away and it was empty. And she cried. Because now not only was her Savior dead, but he was missing. He had been taken. And she is there weeping before the tomb. And this man comes up to her. The man that she was weeping for came up to her and she didn't even recognize him. He starts to talk to her and he goes, woman, why are you crying? What's wrong? And she goes, you don't understand. They took my Savior. They took my Lord. They took my friend. Because of her grief, she didn't even know that Jesus was right there. She didn't even know that the answer to her prayer was right there. She didn't even know that the peace and the hope and the joy and the strength that she needed was right there beside her. There are those of you, because of pain in your life, you're not even aware of Jesus standing right beside you. And we want to join with you today and pray for you that you will know that Jesus is right in the midst of your heartache, in your pain, in your suffering, in your fear, and that he's right there and that he wants to give you fresh peace, fresh joy, and fresh hope. I'm gonna call our worship team, our ministry team down around the front. And I wanna ask you, if you need prayer today, don't stay in your seat, come forward. Because when two of you agree touching anything on earth, it will be done for you. And there are people here that will join with you and believe for a miracle, a resurrection miracle in your life and in your situation. Whatever you have need of, we'd like to pray with you. We're going to continue to worship, and I want you pray that you would come down and receive ministry.
the victory that we have in Christ Jesus. Amen. Come on, let's give him one really big good hand clap of praise. Lord, we bless you in this place this morning. Lord, we love you, Jesus. Come on, somebody with me. Tell them we love you, Jesus. We thank you for the price that was paid, Jesus. You're so worthy, Lord. He is so worthy. Amen. Hey, why don't you turn around to two or three people you never met before and tell them how happy you are to see them in God's house. Life can be difficult. And here at Church on the Rock, we want to help make your journey the best it can be by giving you a place to connect with God, friends, ministry, and the world. With our three weekend services, home groups, and amazing kids, youth, and 20s programs, the journey of life just got a whole lot better. Church on the Rock, a place for you. Visit churchontherock.org for more information. We are so glad you're here celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ on this very special weekend. There's lots of wonderful churches in Texarkana, and we're honored that you've chosen us. I'm Pastor John Miller, and I'm away for a few weeks on a medical sabbatical, just getting healthy, so I'll be able to lead the church into the future in a greater dynamic way. But I encourage you, if you're a guest, pick up the information in the back of the chair. You'll learn lots about Church on the Rock and how we can be a blessing to you and your family. And we also have an information card. If you'd fill that out, then we could connect with you in this next week and help you learn more about who we are and where our church is going and how you and your family could get connected here at Church on the Rock. Hey, thanks again for coming. Hope you enjoy the service. What kind of man welcomes the company of the hurting, helpless, and the hopeless? What kind of a man can heal the pain with a single soft touch? What kind of a man multiplies hope and freedom as easily as he does fish and bread? Who else can turn our dusty old religion into a brand new relationship? What kind of man would claim to be God in the flesh, but then allow that same flesh to be torn apart? What kind of a man would embrace betrayal? Insults. Torture. Mockery. And death. And yet, live to tell about it. Nobody but Jesus. Nobody but Jesus. Nobody. Who could speak with such authoritative words and yet drench them with compassion? Who could be strong enough to still the storms yet be so meek and humble? Who could allow the hands that created the universe to also be nailed into a wooden cross? Who could choose patience despite deserving immediate and complete obedience? Who could be blameless and without fault but still endure the judgment others deserve. Nobody but Jesus. Nobody but Jesus. Nobody. Who will love us like Him? Who will be with us when all others have left? Who comforts us in suffering? Who is our peace in the midst of anxiety? Who reassures me when my mind is drowning in doubt? 
who accepts me as I am, with no strings attached. Who else would die for me while I was sinking in sin? Who else can turn the grave into Easter morning? Nobody. 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 Nobody but Jesus. Amen. Nobody but Jesus, right? Man, happy Easter. It's good to see everybody here this morning. You're looking good. I'm seeing some new skirts, some new shirts. Man, I mean, y'all are wearing on pretty good. You know what I mean? Again, we are so glad that you're here. If you're our guest in worship, you saw Pastor John and Miss Linnell on the screen. Uh, again, if you're our guest right after service, if you'll go to our Connect Room, it's a room right across from the sanctuary. We'd love to give you a gift, just love on you a little bit, and thank you for coming to our church. Um, as you saw in the video, Pastor John is actually on sabbatical right now. Uh, Pastor John's been here for 25 years at Church of the Rock. Amen. And uh, so he's taking a little time off. I know he would love to be here with us, but we want to take a few minutes in this service and just pray for him that God would strengthen him. Can we do that? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you. You're a great God. And right now we lift up Pastor John. Lord, we lift up the shepherd of this house, the person that you put in charge of this ministry, God, and, and everyone that's represented in here today. God, we pray that you would touch his body right now. Lord, that you would lift him up. You would give him peace. You would give him strength. You would restore uh, everything to him, God. Lord, we thank you that when he comes back, he will be ready to go and ready to fight for another 10 or 15 years. But God, we pray for him. We lift him up. We pray for his family, Miss Linnell, Bethany, John Henry, and Rebecca. Lord, would you touch his whole family? Bless them in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. We've got a great pastor. Amen. Amen. Well, we're about to check out a offering video. Uh, and before they show the video, just something Pastor Mike told me a few months ago. Last year, every single day of the year, uh, over 365 days, over $1,000 each day, $1,000 each day was given to local and foreign missions. Is that not amazing? I'm telling you, God turns our money, the little bit that maybe we think it is, into great, great things. And so I want to challenge you this morning. It's Easter morning. Jesus has done so much for us. Let's check this video out and let's prepare our tithes and offerings. Amen.
Wonderful, just, I mean, just amazing. I mean, just the presence of God. And, but every song we sang, man, what a picture of what God's done for us. I mean, just so powerful. Uh, if you don't know by now, my name is Mike Ulmer. I'm associate pastor here and been here uh, as long as Pastor John has. And we've got some great things coming up in the coming weeks while Pastor John's kind of resting and, and uh, getting healthy. i uh, got Ron Hammonds next week from Beaumont, and I'm telling you, that's a sharp guy, and he's going to just really, he can break it down. It's going to be a good weekend. But today, how many think Jesus is in the house? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Got a message entitled, Snapshots of the Savior. I like two titles. I'm an old Rocky and Bullwinkle fan. Most of you, Travis, you don't even know what that's about, do you? Now I'll have to catch you up sometime. But my second title is Snake on a Stick. Now, that was the one I kind of liked when my family kind of moved it down a little bit and weren't so thrilled about it. But first of all, it's Easter. And to me, that's just an exciting time of the year. I mean, you've got spring, the weathers. You know, you have some of those perfect days, not too hot, not too cold. And you got the trees blooming. You got the pear trees with all the, just the white blossoms on. You got the flowers starting to pop up. And you got, I mean, I, the smell of fresh cut grass, the mowed the lawn. How many mowed the lawn for your first time here recently? How many need to mow the lawn for your first time? 
And, but kind of that smell, and then you cut through sometimes some wild onions and you get that smell. And I go by my mom's fence and, and get some, uh, uh, cut some fresh spearmint when I hit it with the mower and they get that smell. And I'm, I feel bad for the people that this pollen and the smells kind of bug you, right? Why don't we pray right now? You'd be healed of that. Lord, I just ask you just to heal on this Easter. People have allergies and it causes a problem. They'll be able to enjoy your creation in Jesus' name. Amen. But you look back through photo albums, my children are all in their 20s and one in their 30s, but just all the pictures are colorful. They're all in these nice little dresses and they got the Easter egg colorful and you got the Easter bunny, all that kind of fun stuff kids enjoy. But oh, by the way, do you know how to catch a unique Easter bunny? Unique up on him. How do you catch a tame one? Tame way. All right, that's all we got. Moving right along. But we're able to enjoy as a family. My sister was down from Montana and my mom and us, we went to the Jonquil Festival, one of the first festivals of the kind of the season in old Washington. And they, they got the old blacksmith and do all that fun stuff. And there was a big patch, about a 10 foot circle of the Jonquils, the nice yellow flowers. And they put a little uh, a young, I bet it was only one year old girl just sitting in there in her dress. And it was just the prettiest picture and you're walking around. And then I get real excited because you get to this one area, it's called the food vendors. And there's all these trailers with all this great food fair food. And there was one in particular, I mean, it had the word stick everywhere. It said sausage on a stick. It said gator on a stick, fried ice cream on a stick, fried cheese on a stick. I'm telling you, they had it all. But you know, there's an Old Testament story in the Bible about a snake on a stick. And there's also a reference to it in the book of John. How many know John 3:16? Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Most of us know that. Do you know the two verses before that? John 14 and 15. It said, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the son of man must be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now I want us to look at that story in the Old Testament about that snake on a stick and it's in Numbers 21. Does anybody have a Bible or electronic device with it on? Kind of make the devil mad here, hold it up, shake it a little bit. Got a few of them out there. Let's chop off some devil's heads. Na, 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 na. I think some of you don't get that, do you? This Bible is a weapon, right? I mean, if you believe that, repeat after me. Says, say, this Bible has the power to change my life to change my city. I can do what this Bible says I can do. I'll be a history maker and a world shaker. This Bible's a truth detector. Cindy Flector. Faith inflator. I'm going to read it now. I'm going to read it later. If you believe that, give Jesus a shout and a hand clap so I know I'm in the right place today. Numbers 21, verse 4. And they journeyed from Mount Or by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. The soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water. Our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents. I want you to remember that, that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole. It shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent 
put it on a pole, and so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now, where else in society do you see this stick with the snake wrapped around it? Maybe on an ambulance. There's a medical symbol. It's the rod of Asclepius. The god of Asclepius, the son, I believe, of Apollo, uh, it was a practitioner of medicine. And we get that symbol you see on ambulances and, and different places. Now, if somebody mentions snakes in the Bible, usually the first place you go to is the book of Genesis, to the garden, Adam and Eve. And this serpent, this snake shows up and kind of de trickery and deceit kind of gets them to disobey God and eat the fruit they weren't supposed to eat. And we remember that story. How many have a snake story? I'm sure many of you have some snake story. Uh, my snake story is one I remember back from college. Me and some buddies went to these little farm ponds in Kansas to fish and just out in the middle of nowhere, had our tents up and had a little area kind of cut grass that was by our tents. And I go walking through the tall grass and going to another spot to fish. And of course, we've seen snakes. We know they're around. And I'm walking and I hear something. It's following me. And I stop and I don't hear it. I start walking and I hear it some more. And it feels like it's getting closer. And I walk faster and it's right with me. Finally, I just take off running. And I get to that clear spot by the campfire and I turn around and there it is. A piece of fishing string hooked to my shoe. <laughs> dragging a little ball of string along. And I'm running like for my life. But what is the best kind of snake? A dead snake, right? Amen. You know, the problem with this story, this Old Testament story, it makes God look mean, makes him look harsh, and then he comes up with a solution that just seems weird. It's kind of one of the hard of those to, you know, kind of figure out. But as we read earlier, the story pops up in the book of John where Jesus compares himself to a snake on a stick. Now I want you to go back and think about the way this story, story, the story started was walking by the Red Sea. That's where it was. Now you would, this is Israel's finest moment right? I mean, he delivered them from slavery. I mean, they had been oppressed by these, these Egyptian taskmasters making them do things, you know, overworking them and just doing all sorts of stuff. And God delivered them. They come through the Red Sea. God parts it. They walk through, the Bible says, on dry ground only to turn around and see all of their enemies buried in the sea. I mean, that's a pretty exciting time. And they had just seen all these plagues that got on all the Egyptians, but none of them got on the Hebrews. They saw the death angel on that last plague kill the firstborn of every Egyptian in every house, but yet passed over the Hebrews when they had that blood on their doorpost. I mean, this was their finest hour. I mean, in the wilderness, even at the foot of the mountain, it, Mount Sinai, it would shake and the, and the smoke would come and, the, and God gave them the Ten Commandments. I'm saying it was a powerful time, but yet... They would keep complaining. And whenever God complained, he'd usually meet their needs. But they'd go complain and say, we're hungry. And God would send them manna. And then pretty soon, we're thirsty. And then out of a rock, who represents who? Jesus. Out of the rock came enough water to feed millions, uh, to th quench the thirst of millions of people, plus all their livestock. I mean, just miraculous provision. But they would continue to whine and moan. And then they whined about the type of food they're eating, and God sent them quail. But God put up with a lot of complaining up to this point, but this seemed to kind of be it. This was the one that kind of that done it, and God sent poisonous snakes. Now think for a minute. The solution proposed by the people was take the snakes away, right? But chances are you just take the snakes away, and pretty soon they're going to forget about it and go back on their own sinful ways. 
moaning and groaning. Because they'd already had the golden calf incident and a plague had came and killed people. They had Korah rebel against, and a group of people against Moses and Aaron. 14,700 people died. None of that seemed to change their behavior. They went right back to their old ways. But consider God's solution. The snakes stay, but he didn't make them harmless. The snakes stay, they're poisonous, they continue to bite, but God provided a way for his people to survive the bite and to be able to live. You know, God could, could have taken sin out of the world all the way back at Garden of Eden, but that sin, that venom, it's still in our veins. But God always has a solution for these problems, doesn't he? In this situation, the bronze serpent is a symbol both of the sin of the people and the mercy of God. You know, in order for someone who was bitten to live, they had to be willing to look square in the face of their sin. I mean, just look at that snake. They were reminded. We complained. It was our problem. And so they were reminded of that. Today, God gives us a remedy for our sin, but we've got to look to Jesus. We've got to look to what happened on that cross. So I'm going to take about four or five words that start with the letter L. And uh, to kind of make some points, hopefully you'll remember, have a little suitcase to take this message with you, with you. So basically this message, slow down a little bit, this message is sponsored by the letter L, all right? The first word is lost. Say lost. This describes the condition of mankind when they first sinned in that garden. When sin came in the world, they lost their relationship with God. They were lost, and matter of fact, their sin was going to cause them to die. Death came into the world, but not just a physical death, but an eternal spiritual death followed that too. And the condition of the children of Israel who were bitten by these snakes. I mean, they were dying. They had no hope. They were lost. They were dying. The fundamental problem with mankind is the poison of sin. Now, could you imagine what it had been like to bit by one of these fiery snakes. Isaiah said they were flying fiery serpents. I doubt if they flew with wings, but they would probably just leap up off the ground and just get you by the throat or whatever. But some of the old writers passed down stories and they say these snake bites were like hot lava flowing through your veins. An insatiable thirst you couldn't quench. You were just like you're on fire. Every nerve ending, you were just like fire going through your blood. And then they would finally drop to the ground and die of these fearful convulsions. I mean, a terrible, terrible thing. The thing is, sin might not have that kind of painful and immediate results, but if you leave it to itself, its miseries can be worse than those snake bites. I'm telling you, sin always takes you farther than you think it's going to take you, costs you more than you think it's going to cost you, and leave you in a place you'll never thought you'd leave you. I mean, it always does that. And sometimes you see sin, people in just that are kind of living in that sin, it's just almost like they're aging before your eyes. You can just, I mean, the, the wages of sin is death. It seems like they, you know, like my aunt here, only 48 years old. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't know who that is. And I'm not making a big deal about smoking, okay? I mean, just because you smoke, you're not going to hell. Just smell like you've been there. <laughs> Maybe get there a little faster, whichever way you're going, but... Oh, oops, look out. Here's the thing about the snake bites. Only leave a couple little holes. You might not even notice where they put the bite. But the effects of it, I mean, they're terrible. You know, God always has a remedy for our condition. You know, there's a story I've used before, 
but it's a young man, a young Native American, who to prove his manhood, he's got to walk to the top of the mountain and spend some time up and come down. He made it to the top of the mountain. He's on his way down. It's a snow-covered mountain at that time. But as you get down, it starts to thaw, and you, you get to some areas, and he runs across this snake, a poisonous snake, and the snake starts to speak to him. He says, hey, pick me up and take me to the bottom of the mountain. I mean, I'm dying. I'm freezing. I'm not going to survive this cold. And of course, the young man says, you know, that would be silly. I mean, you're a poisonous snake. You'll bite me. He said, no, 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 no. I promise. If you'll help me, I'll not bite you. Just get me to the bottom of that mountain. So he talks him in and picks up the snake. And of course, as he's walking, the snake is warming up. It's getting warmer the farther down the mountain. And then all of a sudden, bam, the snake bites him. The young man falls to the ground. He's hurting and is in pain. And he looks at that snake. He said, I thought you made a promise. You wouldn't bite me. And the snake looks back and says, you knew what I was when you picked me up. How many have picked up some things before? And you, it bites you, doesn't it? Amen. God always has a remedy for our condition. God the Father has been giving us snapshots of our Savior since the time began. I mean, there's Jesus's in Genesis through Revelation. He really is. Matter of fact, in Genesis, the shedding of blood that there had to be because of that sin. And Jesus shed his blood for our sin. You know, the little lamb, uh, Isaac was going to have to sacrifice his son. And he, God stops him and then there's a lamb provided there for that sacrifice. When Jesus taught the people the New Testament, he had to use the Old Testament to teach him. And he even probably taught about himself and how much he was even in the tabernacle. Because it says in John 5, 46, Moses wrote of me. Think about the tabernacle, a little picture in there in the corner, kind of a basic cartoon one. But this tabernacle, first it had a white fence around it. White represents righteousness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That means there's a right way and a wrong way. There's a fence, again, that means you're either in or out. You just can't associate or hang around it. You're either a sheep or a goat. You're a wheat or a tear. You're either saved or not saved. You're in or out. You can't be just kind of pregnant, can you? It's one or the other. This gate also, this fence also has a gate. It's called the Eastern Gate. It's a door. Jesus is the door. And he's the only, there's only one gate. He's the only way. And you can't climb in some other way, it says in the book of John. If you do, you're a thief or a robber. Buddha, cults, new age, all thieves and robbers. It's a sh and here's the neat thing about this gate. 30 feet wide. That means whosoever will. It don't matter what you've done. You can come through that gate. And it's a shame some people say, oh, when I'm, I do a little, when I'm a better person, then I'll go to church. Kind of like saying, when I'm a little healthier, I'll go to the hospital. Doesn't quite work that way. You can't get right to get God. You got to get God to get right. And that's the only way it works. Whosoever. And, it, and I want to remind you today, some of you are still wondering how you ended up here today, whether the family member or, but we got to believe God brought you here, a divine appointment today. And he's saying, no matter what you've done, it's not bad enough. I mean, the apostle Paul was killing Christians. It doesn't matter if you're a drug addict, alcoholic, if you're hurt, abused, it doesn't matter what condition you're in. God loves you and the gates are open. He paid the price for you. And then you go through that tabernacle, you get to the bronze altar. That's the symbol of the cross where we, they put the sacrifices for our sin. I mean, literally with Solomon, there was over 20,000 animals sacrificed in one setting. And the thing about this altar, it was about 15 feet high. And they would have to lift these sacrifices up on the altar. 
was Jesus lifted up and made our sacrifice? I'm telling you. And he said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men. Then you get to the bronze laver. And outside it was made of brass. And inside were broken pieces of women's mirrors inside there. The priest would come for cleansing because he had to be pure to go into God's presence. And then when he looked through the water, he would see his reflection. James said this word is a mirror. When you look at it, you see yourself. You really do. And Jesus is what? He's the word. If you have a Bible that's fallen apart, you probably have a life that's not. Amen. Then you get to the holy place. This is where you see the table is showbread. Jesus said he's the bread of life. Bread doesn't do any good unless you take it into you, unless you eat it. Then there's the altar of incense, the place of prayer. A prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. Then you get to the golden lampstand, the light of the revelation of the Father. And the interesting thing about this gold, it was beaten to shape it. Jesus was beaten and bruised for our iniquities and our sins. And then that little tin area, it's made out of animal skins, it's made out of badger skin. Badger's kind of ugly on the outside. Christianity, kind of ugly and dull looking from the outside in. Then the tabernacle was central to all these 12 tribes. And they'd all line up, three on one side, three on the other side, and so forth. To where you would look down from a mountain, it would look like a cross. And it was the center of everything. Jesus needs to be center of our lives. Jesus needs to be central in America. And that's the problem with America. We're moving off base right now. And Jesus needs to be the center. And then you get to the Ark of the Covenant, where the presence of God would manifest. And in that presence, there was a veil separating everybody. This big veil. And only one person, only the high priest could go in there, but once a, the, once a year, and he would open that veil. He would go in literally to the presence of the Lord. He'd wear this robe, and at the bottom of the robe, it had little bells at the bottom of it. And then they had a rope tied to him. Well, why is that? Because if he would go in and have sin in his life, if he'd offer up some strange fire or something, he would drop dead. And if they didn't hear those bells anymore, they'd have to drag him out. Then they'd have to ask for the youth pastor, the associate pastor. It's your turn. <laughs> youth pastor said, man, I should have been doing a little better today. <laughs> Solomon's temple was 30 cubits high. And then Herod kind of increased it to 40 cubits. We don't exactly know the, the exact length of a cubit, but Josephus, one of the first Jewish historians, he's figured out that that was probably about 60 feet high, that curtain, that that veil, 60 feet high. It was all woven together. They say it was about at least four inches thick. So you could take a team of horses, you could not pull it apart. It was that strong and woven together. Now you begin to think about that. I'm telling you, the size of the veil, the thickness of the veil, the events that occurred, the, occurred the moment Jesus died on the cross. It says in Matthew 27, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What does that mean today? Well, first of all, it wasn't torn from the bottom up like man did it. That's religion. Religion is man's best effort to reach God. It was torn from the top down. That's about a relationship. God's saying, I want relationship with each and every one of you. And that thing was torn from top to bottom. Where only a priest could go in once a year and had to do everything right, we can come boldly to the throne of grace anytime. Whether it's in church or driving in our car or out in the deer stand, wherever it is, we can enjoy and, and the presence of God to come. The next L word is look. Say look. look. 
Again, God had a solution for the snake bite. He just said, you got to look at this bronze serpent. Just like he has a solution for our sin, we got to look to Jesus. It all points to Jesus. That snake was lifted up on that pole. They just had to look, right? And you can imagine the people's cynicism. I mean, thinking, man, we're dying. We got our physicians out there with their medical bags trying to fix it and, and nothing's working. And now you're saying, we just look at that bronze super serpent and we're going to be healed? That's impossible. That's inconceivable. How could that happen? See, the very, they're thinking, the very thing that caused the problem is now our solution. That doesn't make sense. You know, God the Father's been giving us glimpses of Jesus, snapshots of our Savior since the beginning of time. Take a little deeper look at this bronze serpent thing. First, God could have told Moses, I want you to kill a snake, put it on a stick, hold it up, you're done. But he said, I want you to make a serpent. Make it out of, it took some time, but God had a very intent purpose on this. See, when you look at that pole and you see that snake, you realize that's not a real snake. It's not a real snake. It's a snake, but it's not a real snake. You look at Jesus, it looks like a sinful man, but he's not a sinful man at all, is he? Romans 8, 3, Paul says, God sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh, the appearance of sinful flesh. God told Moses to make a serpent, and that serpent that they make would save them. The word make, the same word in its context is in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It said, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteous of God. Just like you look at that serpent on a pole, we need to look at Jesus to be saved. You need to believe in Jesus. You need to look and believe. Now that word look, that's a little more powerful word. It doesn't mean just take a glance. When you look at it, I mean, it's talking about making an attentive, concentrated look, looking at him. And the New Testament word for looking is no different. You find it in Hebrews 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You know, it's not just taking a glance at Jesus that's going to do it. It's not just coming to church on Christmas and Easter. Oops. But I've been there. I knew when I took the glance. I mean, I was raised in church. I got to college. I went to church. And it's not about going to church. I'm not talking about a religious thing. But when you're really saved, you end up going to church. You want to be with the one that loves you. But I got to college, and it was just being an idiot. I'm lucky. I'm I'm blessed and fortunate that I'm standing here today by God's grace and mercy. The stupid things I did. I did make it to church one time for a photo op. We dressed up and took some photos, some of us guys. But we got to look at him, look in his eye. If you ever looked in his eyes, really could look in his eyes, you'd see the love that come out. (laughs) There's a guy in our Connect class, a brand new guy, that's had been in the hospital almost a year with heart surgery, and he doesn't have a sternum now. But he kind of went out a few times, and he said he he started to share his experience how he saw Jesus. And the thing he said, before he even said it, he said, when I looked in his, I could see his eyes, and I just knew it was coming. Man, it's just so much love. It was just amazing. And I don't care what you've done. He has that much love for you. Don't take your eyes off Jesus. What happened to Peter? Walking on the water, doing supernatural things. Takes his eye, boom, starts sinking. Jesus, who knew no sin, by nature was sinless, but he was made sin for us, which brings us to the next lovely L word. It's lift. Say lift. Lift. Moses 
was not just told to make a bronze serpent, but to lift it up on a pole. The same terminology used in the crucifixion. They would lift somebody up. Jesus was lifted up and crucified. They have to fasten him to that cross, and then they have to lift it up, sometimes a series of pulleys, and they would lift it up, and it would drop down in that hole. It would drop down in that stand. And that's when the person's arms would be dislocated. And they would be on that pedestal. And the only way to breathe was just to push up and down. They'd look like a human yo-yo just to be able to breathe till they finally suffocate. And he did that for every one of us. John 3, 14 should be more clear now. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. So Moses lifted up the serpent on a pole. Jesus was lifted up on a pole or on a tree, lifted up by wicked men and crucified. But get, then God the Father lifted him up and exalted him above every power and principality. Death no longer has a sting. He went to the devil, took away the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And we have victory today. And we will celebrate that. Amen? There's no other prophet around that died and is living again. That's alive right now, no matter how good they were. If you really want to see victory in your life, you got to lift him up. I mean, when I say lift him up, I mean, you got to praise him. You got to thank him. You got to be bold about him. Tell people about him. If you lift him up every day, I'm telling you, you're going to start living the abundant life. Which brings us to the next word live. Say live. If you would look at the snake, you would live. If you look at Jesus, you will live. And I tell you, if you keep your eyes on him, you look at him, you'll not only live, but you'll live life more abundantly. It's a promise he makes. If you really want to follow Jesus, experience the abundant life, then there are some things you need to leave at the altar. Remember I said about lifting, laying it on the altar? We need to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Well, what is an altar, Pastor Mike? The altar is where you say goodbye to anything and anybody that keeps you from God's destiny. Some of you, you know there's a whole lot more. You could be doing a whole lot more. You could be experiencing, and there's some things you're going to have to lay on the altar. The first one is you. That's a challenge for all of us, because that's what it really means to be a Christian. You stop following your sinful ways, and you begin to follow Christ. You got to lay yourself up on a. You got to die to self daily. And I'm telling you, it's a daily thing. I'm the most selfish person around, and every day you got to make a choice. I'm going to die. You got to really say, Jesus, take the wheel. I mean, it's not. I shared last week how he was kind of my spare tire. If I got in trouble, you know, I call nine one one. God help me. And then I finally got to the place where I said that quick prayer. I took a little glance at Jesus and I put him in the passenger seat. And I said, Jesus, come follow me in my life. Bless me, Jesus. You know, help me do this and that. But then finally, it came to the place where he had to be Lord. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And I had to say, put him behind the steering wheel and say, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. And how I many life is a whole lot easier when you do that. Amen. It really, and it's worth it. I promise you it's worth it. So you got to put you on the altar. The second thing is relationships or people, people that try to control you, people that try to lead you the wrong way, relationships that aren't healthy or unguided. And you know what those are. People either lift you up or pull you down. And there's some people you just got to leave for a while. You really do. You're not their savior anyhow. The third thing you got to put on the altar are habits. And there's some habits you got to leave up there until they burn. Pastor John says it this way. God will deliver you from your enemies, but not your friends. If you just like it too much, you know, how can God deliver you from it? You know, you got to hate sin. You know how much God hates sin? Look at that cross. 
I mean, I've got a son. I couldn't imagine seeing my son going through something like that. But that's how much he hates sin. To the degree you love God's the degree you'll hate sin. And I'm not there yet, but I'm telling you, you if you're a Christian, you ought at least feel sorry when it does happen. And you say, I don't want to do that. Lord, help me. You know, when you break up with somebody, a lot of times you have these articles of affection. And especially you think about this in high school. Uh, maybe you got a new girlfriend or a new boyfriend, and, but you still got stuff from the last one. The, the little trinket you got from Sadie Hawkins, or maybe you got a ring you won at the fair, or this little stuff, Dan, whatever, pictures, you got all these things. They're called articles of affection. But what if you have a new girlfriend, or let's say you now have a wife, and there was a couple years into it, I realized, ooh, there's still some pictures back from the past. And I had to kind of go through those. and get, I had to get rid of these articles of affection because I was in love with somebody else at this point. You know, some of you in this room, there are some articles of affection you have with the world. If you're in love with Jesus, there ought to be some things you need to get rid of. All right, sir. And what is that? Ask the Lord. Right. He pointed them out in my life real quick. It was just a process. And I'm telling you, the more you say yes to the Lord, I'm, the more exciting it gets. It really does. And it's worth it. It's really worth it. You know, if you, when I say you need to live for Jesus, it's a lot easier to live with somebody or to live for somebody if you know how much they love you. It makes it a lot easier. I mean, I have no trouble being faithful to my wife. I know how much she loves me. She knows how much I love her. I trust her. She trusts me. I mean, how much does God love you? You know, I don't, I'm telling you, it's worth serving Jesus. I, you know, these other things are a lie. Everything he has is a counterfeit. It's all a counterfeit. You think you're going to find peace in the bottom of that bottle? I'm telling you, the only place you'll find peace is the Prince of Peace. You'll just find, it just makes the situation worse. I don't regret for one minute, I don't miss for one minute waking up hungover in the morning. I do not miss it at all. I do not miss waking up and wondering if the police are ready at my door to arrest me for something stupid I did the night before. I don't miss any of that. It's worth serving Jesus and going all in, as pastor was preaching about the first of the year. And the last thing about the altar, there's some things you need to put on the altar because if you don't put it on the altar and kill it, it'll eventually kill you. The last word is love. Say love. All of these stories, all of these pictures, all of these snapshots show us God's love, how much love he has for us. That's what it's all about. And we heard a few weeks ago when we had the evangelist here and we did the friend weekend, I mean, all the stories about lost and found, how the lady lost her one of her coins, and she searched frantically till she found it, a picture of God looking for those that are lost and finding them. The lost sheep, one out of the 99. The shepherd left the 99 to go after the one. That means if you're only one person here, Jesus would have died for you. God loves to find things that are lost. And then the prodigal son took off with all of his parents' belongings, all of his inheritance, and just squandered it all, ended up in the pig pen, and finally comes back home you know how that started? First he said, give me, give me, give me, give me. That's selfish stuff. And when you come back, you know what he said? He said, make me, make me one of your servants. And I'm telling you, that's all it is. Say, God, give me this and that. God, just make me a servant. God, help me and make me. 
He loves lost people. He loves you that much. It's worth serving Jesus. You know, I couldn't imagine putting my son on that cross, but yet God put his son on that cross and went through a terrible death. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Let's say that with our names in it. For God so loved Mike. Let's say it again. Let's say the whole thing. For God so loved that he gave his only son. Think about that a minute. I'll finish with this story. It's one you maybe heard. It's an older story. But the man's name is John Griffith. He has a son that's eight years old, and he loves his son. He's the apple of his eye. And like any son, he likes to go with his daddy to work. But this is in the 20s and 30s, and just to have a job, he was very fortunate. And his job was to operate this bridge over the Mississippi River. And he'd have this lever he'd pull, and he would raise up the bridge so these ships could pass through on the Mississippi. And then when the trains would come, he'd lower that, and the trains would come across the bridge. Well, this day was a day his son came to work with him, and they were sitting on the bank of the river, and they had a little lunch, and they were eating away. And all of a sudden, John realized, oh, man, three minutes. The Mississippi Bell is going to be coming, 300 passengers. i got to lower that bridge. Not to make his son nervous, he just taps him on the shoulder. He said, hey, I'll be right back. Just wait here. And he goes off. Gets up to the bridge, gets up to his spot. He's got that massive lever, getting ready to pull it. And he looks over to kind of wave at his son and realize his son's not there anymore. His son somehow had fallen him, got up on the tracks, had fallen through the tracks, and had landed down on one of those big gears that's going to raise the, the train, the, the bridge down. And he realized that time, he said, man, he's trying to figure, how do I get my, if I start this lever, he's going to be crushed. What, and he has to make a decision in just an instant because that train's barreling down the tracks and the bridge is still up. And he knows what he has to do. And he grabs that lever and he pulls it and those gears begin to start. And of course he knows his son's being crushed, but that train's come along, the bridge gets down just in time and this train starts passing over. And this man is just sobbing. He is just crying. And he's looking at these people. The, win the train windows are going by him. And he looks in there and he sees a lady sipping on her tea. He sees another man smoking his pipe and reading a newspaper and a young couple kind of hugging and excited about their marriage coming up. And, and he's just sobbing. He's just crying out, don't you know what I've done for you? And they continue to go, don't you know what I've done for you? And, you know, maybe for a moment, maybe we can get an idea as God's asking us today, don't you know what I've done for you? Don't you know that I had to send my son to make a bridge between you and eternity? I had to sacrifice him. It was the only way I could have a relationship with you. Do you know what he's done for you? You know, the last scripture I want to say is just one that's always kind of one of my favorite. It's the Apostle Paul, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. Do you know him? That I might know him I'm not going to know my wife if I just spend a couple times a year with her. But you get to know him. Do you know him? And I'm saying that condemningly at all. Not at all. I mean, we just get busy. We get caught up in things. All of a sudden we look and say, man, I just had, I mean, when I first came to this church, I wish your little boy was here. I could hold him up and show how sharp dressed he was. But my son was just born. He represents how long I've been here. Just a little boy. But just like that, all of a sudden, you know, he's 20 what? six and it just happens like that I mean you go through life and all of a sudden you say how did I just waste that many years but I'm telling you God loves you do you have a divine appointment here today you know the day I really took a look at Jesus was April 14th 1984 that's the day I really let Christ come into my heart and you know it started with one question I'm going to ask you that question here today 
this guy, I was in a football chapel service and he looked at me. He said, if you died today, would you go to heaven or hell? And that's the first time. I mean, I was raised in a Lutheran church and had catechism and knew all those things in Sunday school and had a good foundation, but it was all up here and it never made that 18 inch journey down to my heart. And I realized, man, nobody's asked me that. Maybe I can talk my way in. Maybe I do more good than bad. But none of that was the answer. And it was about Jesus dying on the cross. But the thing he said that really stuck out, he said, you have to individually invite him into your life. And that's where he gave me an opportunity to raise my hand, to invite Christ in my life, and to repeat a prayer after him. And I did that. You know, nothing supernatural happened, like angels come out of the sky or bolts of lightning. But you know what? I began to have a peace in my life I never had. And that guy gave me a little book. It was by other professional football players. It was called 12th Man in the Huddle. He wrote in that book, April 14th, 1984. He said, you look back on this day, you're going to see a change in your life. You know, maybe a couple days, a couple weeks at it. But I'm telling you, as the months went by, my life began to change in a very good way. And I'm telling you, I'm going to ask you this question here. Go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes. Won't this be a moment between you and God with no distractions? And nobody leaving right now. But if you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? If not, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And by raising your hand, you're saying, God, I give you permission to come into my life. Or if you're in this room and you've gotten off course, you don't know how you got there, whatever. It doesn't matter how much bad you've done, whatever. But some of you are believing some lies. You really are. And you need to get right with God. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And so one last time, you know, there's already people raising their hand, but one last time, are you 100% sure if you died, you'd go to heaven? If not, on the count of three, hold your hand up if you want to get things right with God. One, two, three. They've already been going up. I see your hand. Just hold your hand up till I see your hand. And look at me in the eyes if you raised your hand. I see your hand. I see your hands. See your hand back there. See your hand and your hand, yours. I see yours and yours. All the way back there, several hands and all over there. I'm telling you. Give Jesus a hand clap today. I'm telling you, God loves you. It seems so simple, but just look at that snake. Just look at Jesus on the cross. That's the start of it. But I'm telling you, get in a good church to where they can help you walk through this because the devil doesn't like you now at all. He didn't like you before, but you make a step toward God, he even hates you more. But I'm telling you, God's power is here to help you walk this walk. It really is. And some of you need to, we're going to all in a moment stand to our feet. And when we stand to our feet, those of you that raised your hand, I'm going to ask you to come to this altar. Just you're going to get out of your seats and you're going to walk down. Well, why that altar? Powerful things happen at the altar. It's that opportunity where you can lay yourself down and you're not, you just by walking up here, you're saying, God, I surrender myself. I'm tired of doing it my way. I'm going to do it your way. And I'm going to tell you, when you stand up and walk here, all of heaven's going to stand up. The Bible says if one person does this and gets right with God, the angels begin to rejoice and have a party. And I'm telling you, how many have already made this walk in here? You've walked down to an altar. I'm telling you, a lot of people up here have done that. And I tell you, when you get up and start walking, everybody's going to start clapping and cheering, and all of heaven will. But don't miss this opportunity. Jesus said, if you confess me before man, I'll confess you before my Father. If you deny me before man, I'll deny you before my Father. Make this walk. This is a safe place. You can do it. God will give you strength to do it. And there's some of you didn't raise your hand. You need to come with them because you know you need a new start. Maybe you know all about Jesus, but you're realizing, hey, Easter Resurrection Day, I want this to be a new beginning. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Let's come on down if you raise your hand. Give them a hand clap. 
you raise your hand, you come meet me right here. We're going to say a prayer, and I got something for you. Come on, give him a hand clap. We're proud of you. Amen. Proud of you, man. God bless you, man. Proud of you. Amen. Just stay right here a minute. Come on down. Keep him coming. Good to see you again, girl. Amen. Proud of you. No matter how old or how young you are, God bless you. Amen. God bless you all. God bless you. God bless you. Keep them coming. Keep them coming. I'm telling you. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You guys can all turn around and just look at me for a minute. Just kind of turn around here. And we're just going to say a prayer together. And we're going to have some workers that are going to come in and pray with you. But just repeat this prayer after me. And it's not so much the words. It's really just the attitude of your heart. Because Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, he'll come in. And he's going to come in. He won't leave you. And some of you think, well, am I going to be able to do it this time? Maybe you've tried before. I'm telling you, I'm believing there's a grace and a power here today that's going to help you. Get in a good church. We'll tell you about a class you can get in. Get your Bible. It's a love letter from God. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to get you a Bible. Start in the book of John and just read his love letter to you. And start telling people about Jesus. Ask his help every day. Talk to God like a friend. He wants to be your friend. Amen. Let's say this prayer together. Just repeat up and say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross for me. I ask you to forgive me Forgive me for my sins. And I thank you that today you've come into my life. And my name is written in a book in heaven called the Lamb's Book of Life. And I have a reservation in heaven. But I pray heaven will come down on me today. Give me the power to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're giving Jesus another hand clap. Amen. You know, I want to ask you to just do one more thing. It won't take very long at all. And it's going to be the fastest way to kind of, we want to give you some information. It's a little booklet, How to Walk This Walk. And Pastor Travis is right there. We've got our connect, our cafe back there, most of you have been to. If you would walk back there long enough just for them to give you that book and fill out a little information card because we want to know who you are so we can begin to pray for you and just and know any other needs. And there'll be people back there. And so I want some Christians and some altar workers to follow them back. And let's give them one more hand as they go back. Follow Pastor Travis right there. Proud of you. Pray for you. Proud of you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Come on. Hallelujah. Please make that step back. we got our material they're going to give you. They want to give you a gift. Hallelujah. Here's the way we're going to close our service. We'll have a few altar workers that are left. We'll just hang around here. And if you want prayer for something, you know, there's just some something you need to lay on the altar. Just You might just want to do this too. If you want to lay something on the altar, and it's maybe just some selfish things or an addiction, it could be anything, or just, I want to lay myself, you might just want to come to the altar and just kind of touch it a little bit. And just say, God, I'm just making an effort to just say, hey, I need help in this area. Or just stay and worship a little bit, or one of our altar team will pray with you. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. And if you're a Christian, you want to go back and help in that room, you're welcome to go back and pray with those people. But how about we just lift our hands and just say, thank you, Jesus. Say, fill me with your power to live for you. Not, all, not just all week long, 
but from here to next Easter in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Altars are open.